Uh, if you would take your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3, we're going to conclude our series today, Building Your Life. We're going to talk about hearing God. I've often said in the past that there's one thing that, besides people coming to Jesus Christ, if there's one thing that I could help people do that would be most important in their spiritual life, their spiritual growth, and their spiritual development, it would be this. Helping you to understand, be confident, confident in, and to grow in hearing the voice of God. As you read the scriptures, you will see it's noted over 1,300 times the words listen and hear. And most of the time, those are tied into us hearing God. It's throughout the Old Testament, and it's throughout the New Testament. Now, this is kind of a different talk today in this way, that it's easy for people to get kind of, kind of weirded out by it or to become overly mystical with it instead of understanding the practicality of it. For instance, whenever we talk about hearing God, hearing the voice of God, we're not talking about an audible voice, okay? I've never heard an audible voice. And I'm also not talking about some of these whacked out people that hear God's voice. And they go around and, and, and commit heinous acts or do really, really stupid things. But I do believe that every person here today can hear and understand the voice of God. God speaks to us and he wants us to listen. Listen, because he wants the best for us. Jesus in John chapter 10 begins to unpack this truth a little bit when he uses this example and this metaphor in John 10, 27. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Why do they follow? Because, well, they know Jesus and they hear his voice. So Jesus uses this analogy of following Jesus and the emphasis is on the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. That's what we are. Psalm 100 calls us the sheep of his pasture. And so we want to be continually listening so that we can clearly follow him. Now, this is one of my beliefs, personal beliefs. I think that being a Christian today is really way too easy, especially in the United States, in America. Did you know that the word Christian is only used twice in the scriptures? And I really got to tell you, I want, I want to lead, I want, to, I want my life. I want a lead of people who, they don't just kind of glibly and easily say, I'm a Christian, but they really say, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because that's what the Bible talks about. What's a disciple? Well, it really means that its essence and its core is a learner. Because when you learn of God's love, when you learn of Christ's grace, and plan for your life, guess what? You will want to follow him. You will want to hear from him, and you will want to obey him. Why? Because you know that everything he has for you is for your best, so that you can live life at its maximum. Now, as we come to 1 Samuel chapter 3, we're going to see a young man who hears God's voice, doesn't recognize it at first, but ultimately follows it. As we look at this passage, you're going to see Samuel is being raised in the temple. What happened was his mother, Hannah, for a number of years, wanted to have a child back in that day. If you didn't have children, it was like a curse. And so she goes and she prays and beseeches and cries out to God in chapter 1, just give me a boy, give me a child. 
And ultimately she says, listen, God, if you'll give him to me, I will give him right back to serve you and to live for you. And then you go into chapter two and, by ch- and she, she ends up having a child. She dedicates him. And then in chapter three, after he's been weaned and, and grown up, he, he ends up going to the temple. And it's there that he's gonna learn about serving God and give his life for whatever God has for him. So as we come to chapter three, he's in the temple. And I believe this about Samuel because he's one of the key major players throughout the book of Samuel, believing that he probably wrote most of it. It's named after him. And God uses him in some, some significant ways. Why is that? I believe it's because of one reason. He hears God and he's willing to say, God, whatever you say, I'm willing to do. And he had to do some pretty hard things as you'll see throughout first and second Samuel. The books of Samuel are about the heart. Some years from chapter 3, God's going to tell Samuel, Samuel, I want you to go choose the second king, the next king of Israel. After Saul blows it mightily, and God says, I'm going to disregard you as a king and get somebody else. So he goes to this home where there's a number of boys and brothers, and he goes through this line, and he looks at him, and he says, no, no, no. And God says this in 1 Samuel 16, 7. He says, there's somebody out there, but don't look at his outward appearance. You look at his heart, because that's how I look at it. And see, we have a tendency to focus on the outward, but God is always wanting to look at the inward, because what is happening within us is more important, because ultimately that's what's going to happen without, on the outward. We don't change the outward so that we change the inward. It never works that way. It's always about issues and matters of the heart. That when you begin to change the the, the core, the real you, the heart, that's when the outward stuff begins to change. Because you'll see a lot of really religious people who change all this stuff on the outside. But guess what? When the inside doesn't change, it's only short-lived and won't last for very long. So that's what this is about. In the book of Samuel, we see David. He's a warrior and a consummate worshiper of God. And although he fails miserably throughout the book, guess what? His heart was always tuned to the voice of God as well. And what does he do? He repents. And he changes his direction in the course of his life. Why? Because the book of Acts tells us that he had a heart after God. You read the Psalms and you'll see Time and again, David writing about his heart, pursuing and wanting and desiring the life of God. But the first king of Israel was Saul. Guess what? From the time he was chosen, he would hear the voice of the Lord. He would hear the word of God. And guess what? Ultimately, reject it and not walk in it. So as you read this, there's a couple of questions that we can probably answer. To whom does God speak and what does God speak? Where does he speak to people, and why did God choose to speak to Samuel at this time? So let's pick it up, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. It says, As the boy Samuel served the Lord in Eli's presence. And in those days, the word of the Lord were rare, and prophetic visions were not widespread. So one day, Eli, whose eyesight was failing, was lying in his room. 
Now, an interesting thing is this word boy, it's really similar to the same word that's used of David when he fights Goliath. So we're not talking about a little kid. We're talking about a teenager to a young man, young, probably 20-year-old. So he's, he's not this little guy. But this is who God determines to speak to. I find it interesting that he's going to speak to him and not the professional priest, Eli. Why is that? Well, it doesn't sound like Eli has been hearing from God for a long time because it says there hasn't been any prophetic words. There hasn't been any proclamations or visions from God during this time. So God bypasses him and he speaks to this young, young neophyte, up and coming leader. Why is that? Well, I, I really think it has to do with our heart again. What did Jesus say in Luke chapter 17? He said this, that unless you become like a little child, you'll not enter the kingdom. There's something, isn't it, about becoming like a child. Not childish, but childlike when it comes to the things of God. Because so often as we get older, what do we do? We begin to disregard and question what God says or what he wants to do. We don't have a sense of awe of God. We don't have an expectancy of what God can do. We see all this stuff that hasn't been done instead of always looking to what he can do. So God says, okay, Eli, I'm going to go to this little guy. I'm going to speak to him. Just a point of application. Where, where are you today in that? Would you be kind of like an Eli, the old professional that been there, done that, heard it, haven't experienced, have experienced it? Or do you still come before God with a sense of awe and expectancy, knowing that at any time in your life, he can speak something of significance to you, and that when he does, you'll be open to and responsive to that voice. Well, verse 3 says, Before the lamp of God had gone out, Samuel was lying down in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was located. Then the Lord called Samuel and he answered and he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and he said, Here I am. You called me. Well, Eli says, Well, I didn't call you. Go and lie down again. So he went and he lay down. When does God speak? What we see very clearly here is that Samuel was ministering to the Lord when God spoke to him. I mean, he was sleeping, but he was in the context of that was his life, ministering to the Lord. But he was also ministering for the Lord. But I believe God will most often speak to you when you are ministering to the Lord. While ministry for the Lord is very critical and it's very important, but ministering for the Lord is doing what I'm doing right now. Speaking to you, teaching. So when you, when you do a growth group or you're serving in hospitality or first impressions or campus ministry, whatever the ministry is, serving our kids, teaching them, checking in, that's ministering for the Lord, doing something for him. And that's very important, and I believe a critical piece and component of your personal growth. But when you really learn to dial in and to hear the voice of God is when you are ministering to the Lord, where there is a time where there's personal and private ministry to the Lord. It's not about what other people see. It's not about what you do. It's about simply sitting before him. 
Now, I love it when Trina makes a meal for me. Irons my, now she doesn't iron my shirt. She takes them to the cleaners. But when she does that, that's really nice. Saves me a trip. I love when she does all of those things for me. But you know what makes the biggest difference in our relationship? It's when she does things to me. When she's ministering to me. When she says, I just want to spend time with you. I want to talk to you. I want to have time with you. And we begin to share and communicate. Why? That's when we get to know each other. That's when we get to understand one another. And listen, friends, it's the same way with the person of Jesus Christ. You can do all the things for him and begin to move miles away from him. And I want to challenge you today. God will speak to you when you're ministering to him. We'll pick it up in verse 5. It says this. I didn't call Eli, replied, go and lie down. So he went and lay down. Verse 6, once again, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel, and Samuel got up and he went to Eli and he said, here I am, you called me. I didn't call you, my son, he replied. Go and lie down. So now Samuel had not yet experienced the Lord. Really means he probably wasn't in relationship with him, which really is kind of sad because you have Eli who's supposed to know the God of Israel and to serve him. But as a young man, he hasn't really spoken to him about that. And I wonder if that's why Eli's not hearing his voice, not receiving visions, not receiving insights from God. Once again, verse 8, for the third time, the Lord called Samuel, and he got up, and he went to Eli, and I said, here I am, you called me. Then finally, aha, a light goes on. Eli understood that the Lord was calling the boy. He said to Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and he laid down in his place. And the Lord came, stood there and called us, uh, called us before. Samuel, Samuel. Samuel responded, listen to this, speak, for your servant is listening. So where did the Lord speak to him? Spoke to him in the temple, the tabernacle. So often that's where you begin. That becomes the entry point to really learning and understanding how to hear the voice of the Lord. For some, it happens at a church camp. For some, a youth meeting, a growth group, an interaction with somebody. But oftentimes it happens in a setting much like this. Why is that? Well, because here, it's where you begin to sharpen your ear to understand the way God speaks and how he speaks through his word so that what? Over time, you sharpen that so that when you go out there, you're going to be able to walk through your day and begin to hear the voice of the Lord. It's interesting, even in here, it's not unusual for people to email me or, or say after service, oh, pastor, you know, Man, when you said this today, it just really flipped on a switch for me. It really helped me. It really made a difference. Well, because I'm a pastor, if that happens, I kind of want to know, well, what was it? And then they begin to tell me, and I'm thinking, oh, that's really good. But I never said it. You know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit taking whatever is being said up here and infusing it and giving it life to somebody's life. And that's something that, listen, no human can do. It's really a work of God's 
spirit. So verse 11 says this, the Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do something in Israel that everyone who hears about it will shudder. On that day, I will carry out against Eli everything I said about his family from beginning to end. I told him that I'm going to judge his family forever because of the iniquity he knows about. His sons are defiling the sanctuary, and he, was not, and he has not stopped them. Therefore, I have sworn to Eli's family the iniquity, the sin of Eli's family will never be wiped out by either sacrifice or offering. What he's saying here, he's telling Samuel, this young kid, this, you're going to go tell him that. And what's going to happen is, because they have been so sinful, and they have not repented, and they have not changed, it's too late. And as you continue to read the story, you see what will happen to Eli and his family. So why does God speak to Samuel and not Eli? I think it's because Samuel continually responded. Did you notice four times in in, in this one evening, this one setting, what does he do? He gets out of bed in the middle of the night. See, sometimes, have you ever been awakened in the middle of the night? And you think, oh, it's probably just pizza. You know, it's what I ate earlier. Or maybe it's, oh, my spouse is snoring and that awakened me. And I suppose that could happen. But I'm convinced of this, loved ones, that there are times in the middle of the night that God will speak to you. And he will call you to get up. Why? Because it's one of the few times during the course of your day that it's quiet. And it's still. And there's no distractions. And you can simply get up and hear his voice. I'll share a couple of those in a few minutes with how God does that with me. But it's during those times that God will come and he will give direction to your life. Or he'll bring correction for your life. See, if you, wanna, if you want your dreams to come through, if you want God's word to be fulfilled through you, the things that he speaks to you, sometimes you've got to get up out of bed and respond. Samuel got up four different times to check out what was going on. And during that process, I'm sure that that's how he began to really identify, understand how God speaks to him. And I want to tell you, I believe this with all my heart. God will interrupt your sleep. He will insert himself in your schedule, and he will oftentimes change your plans to get through to you. Because ultimately, one of the most important things in your life when you come to Jesus is that you allow his spirit to speak to you what to do, how to live, where to change. As you're going to see there on your, on your notes, there's, there's about three scriptures there from the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah from, he, there's 66 chapters, and from chapter 40 to 66, there's no prophet, there's nobody in the Old Testament that spoke more clearly and more pointedly toward the life and who Jesus was. And I'm sure that that's part of the process, how this prophet heard God so clearly. And I want you to see those, just note those three scriptures. Because all of them talk about hearing God. When you hear God, the focus, the point will always be, what is Jesus doing and saying in your life? 
And there's hundreds of passages throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. But why does he want that? Well, you'll see it in the last verse, in the last sentence. Isaiah says, pay attention and come to me. Listen so that you will live. See, that's what God wants for you. See, sometimes we think that God's rules or his, or his speaking to us is condemning and, and narrow cast so that we can't really live and enjoy life. When ultimately anything God speaks to your life and challenges you with or convicts you of is always so you can live life at its fullest. That's what Jesus wants for you. So the key is this, is what? It's to be tuned to his voice. You see it in Jesus' example You'll see it in Mark chapter 1. It says, early in the morning, what happened? Jesus got up, and he spent time with his fathers. The disciples knew that. They would always go find him. They'd try and pull him out of that. But Jesus would get up early in the morning. Now, hear me. Some of us here are not early morning people, correct? So if you just say, oh, man, there's not a chance in the world I can do it early morning. That's all right. Do it late at night before you go to bed. Not a problem. The key is, is that you do it, that you engage the Father with your heart. Because it says in chapter 5, Jesus makes this statement, what I see the Father doing, that's what I do. I don't do anything on my own. Then a little bit later in John chapter 12, he says, what I hear the Father saying, that's what I'm going to say. Because I'm not going to speak of my own initiative And I am convinced it probably will never happen fully for every one of us, but one of the goals of my life is simply to be so in tune with heaven and with the heart and the voice of Christ that I'm doing what he wants, that I'm speaking what he's saying to every person and to every situation. To do that, you have to be dialed in and you got to tune your ear and your heart to heaven every day. Did you know that Matthew 16, it, it's the first mention where Jesus talks about the church. He says, I'm going to build my church. And the whole idea, the whole idea behind the word church is the word ecclesia. And, and when he uses that word, it has to do with a called out people. They've been called out. They've been called out from the world. They've been called out to God. Not to be separate but to be different, to be unique, and to be a people that hear and respond to the voice of God. That's part of our calling. So how do you do that? Well, there's three ways. Number one, it's through the Word of God. If you want to hear God's voice, you've got to become familiar with the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says this, the word of God is active and alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And what does it do? It cuts to the bone and marrow and soul of the person. What is it saying? That that Bible, that when you read it, it's like a sword. It's like a surgical tool that comes in and it begins to kind of cut through everything and it gets to the core of the matter. And it says as it judges thoughts and intentions. Have you ever read the Bible and all of a sudden you're reading it and you go, oh no, I've got to stop that. Or I've got to quit thinking like that. Or, oh, I need to go do that. That's what the Bible does for you. It cuts through. It speaks to. It leads you, guides you, directs you, counsels you. 
convicts you, but ultimately speaks to you for your life. Two weeks ago, I, I woke up and couldn't get back to sleep. And this had been going on for a couple of weeks. And, I, and, and this happens every once in a while with me. And what I've learned to do is instead of sitting there and wasting an hour and a half trying to get back to sleep, I've realized that this is kind of like a Samuel Samuel summons where God wants to speak something to me. So now I don't try and go back to sleep very quickly. I I mean, I just kind of get up. And it was two weeks ago that I was, I got up, went into my office at home, and I just began to kind of just checking on some friends on the internet and uh, church friends, pastors, and see what was going on. And, and then all of a sudden, the Lord just kind of started unpacking some stuff for me personally. And before I knew it, this was about a three and a half hour period, and I'd started journaling, and he said there was, I had to do a couple of things. I had to make a confession, two confessions, and repent of something. And I journaled it so I wouldn't forget it. Because when God speaks something pretty clearly to me, that's what I need to do. And that's what I encourage you to do. He said this, that there's a lot of new people to me. And there's a lot of new people coming to Creekside, a lot of young leaders that are looking for something. And that we're going to start, that I'm supposed to start a once a month meeting for them, two to two and a half hours. And not just new people, but, but maybe newer people to leadership. It wasn't, didn't have an age-specific thing. But to make an opportunity for some young people, maybe young at Creekside, young in age, to come and to meet together for two, two and a half hours, once a month, to begin to give them voice and to share and to talk about leadership. Second thing he said is you're going to bring back town hall meetings because our church is growing. A lot of people, they, you know, the communication, there's a big gap in communication. So a lot of times you really don't know what's going on except for the big things. And maybe you have questions you want to ask. We come together and we're going to give people opportunity to say, hey, what about this? What about that? What's going on? And, and I'll unpack that because we're going to set up a town hall meeting here pretty soon just to sit and talk and share whoever wants to come. But then as he always does, <laughs> this, this is what I love about God's spirit in my life. He always gets really personal with me. And I don't like that. Because it's always one of those things where, you know what, I feel really bad to feel good. And so, I, as I told you, well, the first thing that I had to confess was this, and this is, this is a good one. I wrote this. In this recent season, I found myself wanting and desiring Jesus more than ever to know him more and sense his presence like never before. The last few nights going to bed and waking up, I just want to talk to Jesus. I want to hear from him. I want to have this blessed dialogue with him that goes beyond the often hurried moments of time where I rush in to have time with him. As I speak and listen, there is a greater peace that seems to envelop my soul. And the best way to describe it is this. I just want more of Jesus. That was my first confession. Second confession was almost a repentance thing, but not quite. And then my third thing was a repentance. This all happened in the course of about two and a half hours. Do I recommend that for everybody? Lord, no. 
I hope it doesn't happen very often to you, but there was about a two-week period where it seemed like almost every night I was getting awakened. And what I want to say to you is don't disregard those times because those are some of the best times that God can speak to you. It is through those times that he'll, he'll cut through your anxious thoughts. He'll still your racing mind. And he'll begin to give you hope and direction for whatever it is that causes you to lose sleep. Get up. Listen. The quietness of the morning. God speaks through his Bible, friends. Are you listening? It's the living and active word of God that can speak to you more clearly, much better than I ever could. That's why we talk a lot about here uh, journaling and reading the word. One of our values is that we're always growing in intimacy with God. A few months ago, remember we did our PB&J? No, it's not peanut butter and jelly. It's prayer, Bible, and journaling. Because I believe, I am committed to, I know for my life, that's the best way that I hear from God because it always brings me back to the place where he speaks his word. And I know a lot of people are really reluctant to journal. Writing is hard. If you want to go back and grab one of these from the back and just pick it up and get some ideas of how to journal. And you don't even have to do it that way. I would recommend, if nothing else, open your Bible and just get one thought, write two sentences, one sentence, and then think about that during the day because that's how ultimately you train your ear and tune your heart to hear God. Can I tell you why I journal? It slows me down so that I can listen and go deeper in tuning my heart toward God. It says this in Luke chapter 10, verse 39, 40 and through 42. Mary, it says, she's sitting at his feet. Martha's running around, busy. And Jesus turns to Martha and says, she's doing the one needful thing. What's that? Sitting and listening. That's how you begin to calibrate your life to hear God. Are you in the word? Are you listening? And I know some people might say, well, you know, Pastor, I can't read very well. Get some CDs. Get some CDs of the Bible and listen to them when you're driving to work and then try and take one thought, one scripture to build your day around. Second thing is, is the spirit and a gentle whisper. The spirit can speak to you through a gentle whisper. Well, what do I mean by a gentle whisper? The phrase comes from the story in the Old Testament in 1 Kings chapter 19. Have you heard of the prophet Elijah? Remember in chapter 18, 1 Kings 18, he takes on these Baal, uh, prophets of Baal. And he has this showdown with them for, it's probably a full day. And finally he calls on God and God does a great thing and he ends up uh, massacring 700 prophets. What's interesting is at the tail end of that, he had heard from Queen Jezebel, who was one evil, wicked woman. He heard from her that if, that if he doesn't stop this, if it continues on, that she's going to kill him. So all of these prophets of Baal are destroyed. It's almost as if 
Elijah's going down Mount Carmel, and as he's going down, he begins to descend into his own deep discouragement and significant, serious depression. So by chapter 19, it says that he's fearful and he's on the run. Get this. He has just taken care of 700 prophets, and now one little old woman he's afraid of. I mean, do you think God wouldn't take care of him if he takes care of 700 for one woman just because she's an evil queen? So what does he do? He heads over. and He sits under this tree and he begins. He just says, he basically says, God, just kill me. Let me die right here. So God does this wonderful thing and he sends an angel to begin to do what? Not preach at him. Not tell him to get his act together. Feeds him gives him water, and lets him sleep. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't tell him he's a loser for quitting. It doesn't tell him, how could you think about dying? You know, it doesn't say, get your hiney going and start serving me. He says, I'm going to feed you. And he does that for 40 days. Why is that? Well, probably because there was a great exertion of physical, emotional, and spiritual being that went into dealing with these prophets. And God says, before I can do anything spiritually with him, I've got to take care of him physically. And so for 40 days, God just kind of takes care of him, feeds him, waters him, rests him. I'm going to talk, I think, in August about the, the connection between body, soul, and spirit. So many of us don't take care of our bodies. And never forget that when you don't take care of your physical being, it's always going to affect your spiritual being, and your soul being. And that's what happened here to Elijah. So God asked him, what are you doing here? And he basically says, I just want to die. And after 40 days, God shows up. And he says, listen, Elijah, I want you to come outside that cave. And so Elijah goes over there. And all of a sudden, God sends this earthquake. And he sends this big wind. And wind just goes through. And it's literally ripping stuff off and just causing havoc. And he sends a fire. Three big, big acts of nature. And then God finally says, come here. And he says, I'm not in the fire. I'm not in the earthquake. And I'm not in the wind. And he says these words to him. I'm in the small, gentle whisper. See, loved ones, so often we are looking for God in the big things of life. And where God really resides, first of all, he resides in you through his spirit. And it's through his spirit awakening and making your spirit alive that he begins to speak to you about life, about your life. And so often we're looking for this neon light or maybe this audible voice. But it only happens inside. Gentle whisper. God will begin to speak things to you. I'm not going to take the time to unpack it, but read Acts chapter 8. You'll see the story of Philip where it says the Spirit told him to go outside of Jerusalem on this desert road, and he runs into an Ethiopian. 
Why? Because the Spirit said, go stand by that chariot. He stands by the chariot. This Ethiopian comes, and he's reading the book of Isaiah. And he says, do you know about that? Do you know about that story? What's he reading about? He's reading about Jesus, the suffering Messiah, Isaiah chapter 53. And so Philip begins to unpack it for him. He comes to Christ right there. They take off in the chariot, and guess what? They come to Oasis. And, and, uh, and the Ethiopian goes, hey, I think I want to get baptized. So he gets baptized right there. And then he takes the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, back to Ethiopia. It's the first time that it arrives on the continent of Africa. Why? Because one man, Philip, listened to the small, still whisper of the Spirit. I can't tell you how many times that's happened to me. Do you realize that it's a small, still spirit whisper that spoke to me about coming here? It was 1990, a hot August night. Pastor Mel oftentimes would ask me to come and to speak to the church in his absence because I was, I was teaching school at the time or even when I was pioneering and didn't have a Sunday night service. So I'd get to come over at different points and speak to this congregation. It was August 1990. I walked out of that corridor out to the parking lot and I stood there as my family was getting into the car and I was just looking around at the beauty of the hills and everything and I look around And I felt like the Lord say to me, these hills can be harvested. I didn't think he was necessarily speaking to me to come here. I just, yeah, you're right, God, they sure can. You know, I was a happy camper. I was teaching uh, junior high and coaching sports and loving it. And I just, at that time, I really didn't have any thought of going back into ministry after kind of burning out. But as I often do, when I feel like the Lord speaks to me, I just write those things down. So I go and write it down, and guess what? About a year and a half later, I get a call to come here. So they asked me to write a resume. They asked me to send information, even though they knew me. But on the resume, I had like seven vision points. One of them was, guess what? The hills around that church can be harvested. So 1992, a year and a half later, I get to come here. I love this city, and I love this church. Because what makes this place is you. It is a privilege to serve. But I probably never would have done it at that time in my life if I wouldn't have heard those words out there. These hills can be harvested. I just didn't know at the time it was going to be me. See, that's why that gentle whisper, loved ones, don't pass it off. Write it down because God can speak something to you today that you won't even understand for five years. But if your heart and your mind and your head is turned, tuned to heaven, guess what? He'll speak to you. So a couple questions. What does God sound like? This may surprise you, but he sounds like you. God's going to use your vocabulary. 
He's going to speak in terms that you understand. A lot of us, again, we think that God's going to like, have this billboard that's going to come up or, or someone's just going to, and this happens once in a while. It's happened to me where someone has come up to you and said something, and it's like, okay, that's now I know it's God. Or, you know, it's the Cecil B. DeMille thing. Remember when he called down Moses and he said, Moses, come down, come up to the mountain. You may think that that's what's going to happen. John, come off the job site, you know, or Susan, leave the office. Now, that might be inside you hear that, but you'll never hear this audible voice because I've never talked to anybody that has. But he will sound like you. His terminology will be easy for you to understand. See, I'm into, growing up, I was into sports and athletics, and so... I often, God speaks to me in golf pictures or basketball or sports pictures. Well, that's how he spoke to uh, the Apostle Paul oftentimes in the New Testament because Paul kind of had this athletic bent to him. You hear about running the race, fighting in such a way. Break through the finish line. If you're a ditch digger, God will speak to you about, you know, when you get into a ditch, you've got to square it up and make sure that it's deep. Square up your life. Be pure and be holy. Maybe you work in numbers. He'll talk to you in numbers or formulas or equations. See, the New Testament, the New Testament was written in a thing called Koine Greek, which is simply the common language of the day. God spoke to people in a common language. John tells us that the Word became flesh, Jesus Christ, and dwelt among men. Why? Well, he's common. He's a man. He comes to dwell among us. And it literally, when it talks about the word, it was a Greek expression, very simply uh, flyby on it. It's simply that he was the expression, the thought of God coming to us so that we would have understanding and an expression of Father God. Hebrews 1 says that he's the exact representation, the radiance of the Father. That's what he brings to us. So when God speaks to you, it'll be in your language so you can understand it. How do I know if it's God and not just me? What keeps me from just doing what I want and saying God told me to do it? That can happen. Let's admit it. Sometimes we're wrong. I've been wrong. You've been wrong. Our capacity for self-deception and doing what we think is right is enormous. How many of us can hear what we want to hear and do what we want to do and say that's the word of God? I have a lot of people come to me and tell me what the word of God is for me. And this is what I tell them now. When God speaks that to me, then I'll know it's from God. You have to be careful that you don't let people speak to you for God. But this is the key. The reason why we start with the word of God as being the first place that we hear God don't let anybody, don't ever allow yourself to think it's God's will for you to do something that contradicts his word. It will never be from God or the spirit of God to go against what he has written here. And oftentimes when God speaks to you, it's almost always going to be the harder way. That's what Jesus did when he went to the cross. He always took the harder path. 
And I've learned in my life, the harder path is almost always the best. Third way you hear, let me just do a quick flyby on this, is other people. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says, in the past, God spoke through the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken through his son. God became a man to speak to us. John tells us that Jesus became became the word and, and in the flesh to express to us what God wants from us. But have you ever talked with people around you, probably somebody in this church where you go, wow, I talked to them and I just heard the voice of the Lord for my life. God can speak through people. But let me tell you, uh, Proverbs 24 says this, that in the multitude of counselors, there is victory and safety. Proverbs 24, 6. Be careful who you talk to, though. Make sure that those people you talk to have a spiritual acumen, that they have a spiritual maturity, that you can trust what they say, and that it will be coming from the heart of God and the heart of the Word. Because I talk to people sometimes. Well, you know, I talked to Susie over here, and they agreed with me. Well, isn't that nice? (laughs) It's fun to get people that agree with us, but that doesn't always help us. So make sure that they have spiritual life and growth happening in their life. Close with this story. When I was a number of years ago, when my oldest son was pretty small, I took him to Toys R Us, just having a guy's time out. And uh, for whatever reason, I probably got pretty distracted and happens pretty frequently, but he ran off, and I was looking at something and doing something, and all of a sudden, Joel's gone. So I start just kind of looking around, and then pretty soon, I can't find him, so I start saying, Joel, Joel. I don't want to yell too loud, otherwise people, you know, call CPS on me or something, but um, I'm Joel. Well, and I finally come around to the bicycle section and trikes and all that section, and it's kind of a mess and a maze, and all of a sudden I see him kind of climbing out, and he's got little tears in his eyes, and uh, because he said, "Dad, I, I didn't know where you were," and and uh, and I said, "It's all right, son. I'm here." And he goes, "Oh, good, Dad. I I heard your voice and knew you were coming." Now, while the illustration can break down in a lot of ways, you know your greatest security will come when you know the voice of God's Spirit in your life. A lot of us are lost. And the reason we were found is because we responded to the voice of the Spirit speaking to us. And I would venture to say that even as I'm talking about things today, about hearing the voice, some of you are hearing the voice of God speak to you very clearly about things in your life. And what you'd like to be able to do is just blow it off. But it's like anything else. The more, you, the more you push it aside and blow it off, the harder it gets to hear. See, the reason Joel knew my voice is one reason we had relationship, an intimate relationship. And he had heard it for four or five years. And the greatest, safest, most secure place for you, loved ones, is hearing that voice day after day after day. But it will only happen as you choose to tune your heart day in and day out. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father?
as we close, if there's anybody here today that might possibly be far from you, but they would hear your voice calling them in a sw- just a whisper. Sally, I'm calling you. John, I love you. I want to give you hope. I want to help you find your way. Tom, I want to give you direction. George, I know you're hurting. Let me in. Let me come. Bring healing. Grab your Bible. Let me speak to you. Sarah, I know your marriage is on the rocks. Let me speak hope. Hear me speak hope. Father, help us to tune our hearts and our minds and our spirits to your voice today, to now. I pray, Lord, that this becomes so practical and so real for every one of us. It'll change our life. It'll change our direction. Help us to do that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's stand. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Have a safe holiday. And more importantly, as you go, may this be the beginning of the day when you can begin to be confident to work at opening yourself up to hearing the voice of the God that loves you deeply, cares for you greatly. Amen. You're blessed. Be blessed.